It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks. To help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's Healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there. Welcome everyone to the Becker's Healthcare podcast series. I'm Mariah Muhammad with Becker's Healthcare. I'm thrilled to have with me today, Dr. Joseph Kraft from St. Luke's Hospital. Dr. Kraft, it's so nice to talk with you today. How are you? I'm, I'm well, thank you for having me on. I've uh, enjoyed listening to some of the other podcasts that you guys have published, and I think it's great what you're doing. I appreciate you trying to share the word about heart health. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for those kind words. And we are so excited to have you on today. Uh, to begin, would you mind please introducing yourself and telling us a bit about your background? Sure. My name is Joe Kraft. I'm a cardiologist in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, I trained, I did college at University of North Carolina, and I did medical school at Wake Forest University. I did a residency in internal medicine and a chief resident year at Vanderbilt University. And I did a cardiology fellowship at Washington University in St. Louis. I'm board certified in internal medicine, cardiology, echocardiography, and nuclear cardiology. And uh, I'm a general cardiologist. I love taking care of patients. Um, that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. But I also have an interest in the business of healthcare, including everything, including policy, finance, uh, technology, and population health. And so I've had the pleasure of holding some leadership positions. Uh, currently, I'm the president of the medical staff at St. Luke's Hospital in St. Louis. St. Luke's is um, an independent health system uh, of medium size. We have 30 locations throughout the St. Louis metropolitan area. Um, high, very high quality place. We pride ourselves on that. Uh, Medicare five-star rating for the flagship hospital. We have a Alliance in partnership with Cleveland Clinic, and um, we have a, a mix of uh, employed physicians and private physicians, and um, culture is very important to us. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that background knowledge. And with all of your experience in healthcare, the one thing I wanted to ask you first is what are the top three biggest issues in cardiology today? Well, I'm sure you'd get a lot of different responses from different people in the field, but some of the things that I think are interesting and I think are dynamic features in our world day-to-day, uh, -day, both for the folks, of, those of us who work in the trenches and see patients every day, but also for the folks who step back and look at uh, cardiovascular care from a bird's eye view, maybe around the country or around the world. One of the things that we struggle with is what I like to call therapeutic optimization, uh, when we develop therapies to try to help people for various heart conditions, and there's, there's so much heart disease out there, uh, we have a hard time translating that from established, qualified, good quality evidence to widespread adoption and access to patients who need those things. So numbers have been, diff have, have been quoted differently, but there's a lot of reports to suggest that it takes 10 to 15 years until high-quality publications are available to physicians, even published in large white paper guidelines accepted by professional societies before those same therapies are widely adopted. 
Um, so we have a gap. We have a gap between evidence base and widespread use uh, and availability to patients. There were a lot of people who felt that the, on, the introduction of electronic health records in the mid-2000s were going to solve a lot of those problems. Unfortunately, electronic health records really have been mostly disappointing with respect to their ability to impact population-based health care in a, in a large way, whether that is the population of a, a single physician's panel or a small practice or a, you know, thinking about the country as a whole. So I think one of the things that's interesting is there are, uh, with the introduction of a lot of AI tools, artificial intelligence tools, there, there may be an opportunity finally for us to accelerate the rate at which we as a medical community adopt highly qualified therapies to make a difference. Here, I'll give you an example. In, in taking care of patients with congestive heart failure, those people with heart failure we call with a reduced ejection fraction, we now have a pretty commonly accepted four-drug regimen um, that has well-established use, is endorsed by all the cardiology professional societies. Um, however, if you look at nearly every group of physicians, uh, almost any way you slice the pie, you can see that um, use of one of those or maybe two of those medications uh, is relatively commonly done, but getting all three or all four medications, and even this is include, excluding people who are allergic or have intolerances, we just haven't gotten there yet. Some of this information is newer, but we want to accelerate the timeline to adoption. We know that there is a big difference, sometimes adding years of life, going from two of these heart failure medications to four of these heart failure medications. So um, one of the tools that we're using, and I don't have, I have no disclosure, no financial disclosures, but I think it's interesting. One of the tools that we're using in our health system is called CardioCare. CardioCare is a software tool. It's part of the Edwards Life Sciences family of companies. And CardioCare, as an example, uh, has the ability to pull out, to extract a lot of data from, as an external software piece, from the electronic health record and analyze it in a sophisticated way and give us reports of how many patients from our population are on the four drug regimen who would qualify based on their ejection fraction and their symptoms. It's a, it's a really robust reporting tool. It's very insightful and it can be updated in real time. Um, and it can be given this information be provided to physicians, to nurse case managers, um, to population health teams to try to help impact care and deliver care to a larger group of folks. So I use that as an example, and I, I hope that's one, uh, one insight into what the next year or two or five could look like as we try to make high-quality cardiovascular care more dynamic, more responsive to um, data that gets published, and help our patients live longer and live better. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for all of that insight. I like to say at the very beginning, I can definitely uh, I hear a lot of different answers to this question. But, you know, I'm excited that you spoke about something that I don't hear about too often. And keeping in mind those big issues, how do you see heart care evolving over the next 18 months? Do you think that some of those issues will be solved by then? I, I, I see. I guess I would say um, I, I, I'd say there's uh, challenges, concerns, and there are opportunities. 
let me kind of highlight one of the challenges. So we have workforce challenges in, in cardiology. As many of your listeners may know, as of 2010, the baby boomer group started hitting Medicare age, and we have an aging population, and roughly 10 to 12,000 people reach 65 years old in the United States every single day. And as we get older, cardiology tends to be care of mostly older folks, um, and so we anticipate a lot of increased care needs. So um, the challenge, though, is that we have a cardiology workforce that is not growing. So among cardiologists in the United States, we lose about anywhere from 500 to 1,000 cardiologists, it's been estimated, per year out of the workforce. And that's for a lot of reasons. One of those is because at present, about 60% of cardiologists are over the age of 55, 25% are over the age of 65. Those numbers are going to increase. We have long training timelines. People start into medical school in this era a little later in life, a couple years later in life than they did 15, 20 years ago. Um, we have physicians who are feel burnout for lots of reasons, have been worked very hard. COVID didn't not, did nothing to help that. Um, so we have some people who are scaling back their work. Some people are retiring early. And that's resulted in the shortage. At the same time, we have an arguably bigger problem in the United States uh, that we have a tidal wave of nursing shortages coming. It's estimated that around 2026, we'll have anywhere from 300,000 to 500,000 nursing positions open and unfilled in the United States. It is very challenging to hire nurses right now. So on the supply side, uh, for, the, for the expected increased need of our population, we're going to have less people to do that. So there are going to be lots of clever ways, I hope. I hope there will be lots of clever ways to try to increase that. There's some uh, activity on the legislative side and trying to increase the number of approved and paid for uh, residency positions. There are some medical schools that have been, have been growing and expanding and trying to graduate more doctors. There will be a lot of extension, including the use of nurse practitioners and physician assistants and physicians leading those care teams to try to take care of all of our folks. But that will for sure be it. So that's for sure a challenge. I think one of the things that's interesting that will happen in that same context is roughly 85% of the cardiologists in the United States are employed or tightly aligned with health systems. That's a flip from the way things worked 25 years ago when it was around 25% of cardiologists had such alignments. So health system and cardiology care teams are working tightly together, and they are working in, in the context of a changing kind of care venues. So, for example, we anticipate the inpatient cardiology needs, hospital-based cardiology care to increase around 5%, maybe 6% over the next decade. That's a national estimate. But the outpatient care needs, we expect to grow 25%. Health systems historically have been very focused on bricks and mortar, patient heads in beds. What do we do on the inpatient side? And many have not been really focused on seeing the outpatient realm of care as their future. And I think all of us are going to have to sort of adopt a mindset that the outpatient realm where we care for patients is really going to be our future. So 
how are we going to get to that? And are health systems going to be able to make that transition effectively? You know, their health systems are under financial strain. It's a it's a tough industry. Those are kind of small margin. Um, it's a small margin business. Um, and we see an influx and an increased interest in other uh, other groups coming into the outpatient realm. And among s- several is includes Amazon, Walmart, uh, United Healthcare's Optum have been uh, moving more into the outpatient care realm. So it's going to be very interesting to see if over the next five years there's some disruption in where we take care of patients and who is taking care of those patients in that outpatient realm. I think it's going to be very, very interesting. My hope is, I guess I, I'm kind of a glasses half full kind of guy. So you, you asked about, um, you know, you asked about opportunities and threats. I, I hope that this landscape um, shakes things up. Uh, healthcare by its nature has not always been very fast moving. And, and I think it would be really exciting if it were a time of accelerated change and increasing innovation, maybe even from outside of some traditional healthcare players to try to shake things up and help us take care of people better. For me, that would be fun. Uh, that would be fun change. That would be exciting. Yes, absolutely. I completely agree with many things you said. Um, and we definitely do need some creativity in dealing with some of those issues arising. Uh, however, before I let you go, doctor, the last thing that I wanted to ask you is, what are you excited about and also what is making you nervous? I know something you mentioned about uh, nurse shortages and that can definitely make one nervous. <laughs> so, so the things that I'm nervous about are having an increasingly strained healthcare system, both on the hospital side where we don't have enough nurses, where we still struggle with high expenses, that we don't have enough cardiologists and um, support team to take care of the patient care need. That, that's my concern. What, what I'm hopeful about, what I'm optimistic about, is that there will be an increasing push to address these things in new ways. So, um, for example, if, if we were to take care of patients in a better way, I mentioned this therapeutic optimization concept. If we were able to figure out among the thousands of patients, say, in our health system that we care for and that we know have chronic conditions that we have to manage over time, if we can figure out who those people are, if we can learn about them, if we can get data feedback them in real time, and now it seems like we're at the advent of having tools to effectively do that, um, I think that we can make a major impact in those patients' care, help keep them out of the hospital, help keep them happier and living longer. We're also starting to see some software applications that are going to have increasing opportunity to impact the electronic health records. Um, Despite the best efforts, many of those electronic health records haven't evolved very fast over the last 15 years or so since they've been available. Um, There are also artificial intelligence and voice recognition tools that hopefully are going to get doctors and nurses less and less obligated to do data entry. Uh, typing all day long and clicking all day long. Uh, It is the bane of the existence of those of us who take care of patients every day, and it's a time suck. And we really, really need to get away from that in order to allow people time face-to-face with patients, which is what patients want. If we do those things, I think we'll have both a happier healthcare workforce and patients who are better cared for. 
Yes, thank you so much for those final thoughts, doctor. This has been an amazing discussion. So I do want to thank you so much for coming on Becker's Healthcare to uh, speak with me today. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Brian, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for what you're doing. And I'll look forward to the next time. Thank you.